Do me a favor, before you sit down, just ask your neighbor, are you ready for victory? Amen. You may be seated in the presence of the Lord. I'm so glad to be with you today. We've been here all weekend. This is a third service. How many of y'all have been here all of the services? Let me see your hands. So a few of us. How many? Two out of three. How many of this is your first? We love you anyway. Welcome. <laughs> Just glad you're here. It's a privilege to be here. We praise God for Pastor Paul and his wife as they are away with their children. And uh, I just want to not, you don't, you may not get a chance. Uh, I may not ever be here again, but I looked to my left and I saw Pastor Paul's grandmother and um, she's famous on Instagram. Yeah, she's famous. Uh, she's working full time still at 98 years old. Can we just praise God for her? God bless you. We honor you. Uh, on the same road, my wife is here with us. Can you praise God for my wife? She's with us today. And you're here. And so we're glad. I, um, the song uh, that they just sung, I asked them to sing it because the message that I'm going to share with you today is called Ready for Battle. I wrote it off of that message. Um, and and I, I said message intentionally because I think the song is actually a message that we have to be ready for battle. And the first time I was here to hear that song, uh, the gentleman that's sitting there uh, behind my wife, he was up here leading it, and I, I, I kept hearing a voice that I knew, and I thought maybe it was in the track, but it was actually the lead singer who was sitting behind me singing the song, and uh, I just, I love that song, and uh, it's, it's, really, it's really amazing to me that God has us in a time like this uh, sharing a word like this, and if you need scriptural reference, I'm going to be sharing today from 1 Samuel chapter 17. Yeah. 1 Samuel chapter 17, and um, we'll just kind of go through it. I won't read it all. You'll get a chance to do it in your alone time. But um, shout at me if you, uh, if you like baseball. Just shout at me if you like baseball. So I, I, um, I grew up uh, in Gary, Indiana, so the teams that were prevalent for us then were the White Sox and the Cubs. And uh, around 1998, when I was growing up, and some of you all will remember this, that was this duel uh, going on in Major League Baseball between Sammy Sosa and Mark McGuire. And, and it was home run after home run after home run, and I can't remember. Uh, I think it was somewhere around 69 home runs uh, that the winner had hit that year, and one of them was 68. And every once in a while in baseball, you see this thing happening because if you're paying attention right now, it's happening again. Uh, Aaron Judge is tearing it up. How many of you have been watching him? Uh, he is, he's at, I believe, 41 home runs. Uh, he has the most home runs uh, by the month of July, more than anybody since Babe Ruth, right? And he hit a home run in the beginning of the game, and they thought it was over, comes back at the end of the game, hits a grand slam, uh, has his 41st home run. It's incredible. And everybody's applauding him on television. Everybody's excited. I mean, this guy's making $11 million a year. Everybody's talking about how great he is and, and how amazing he is and how he's the next this and the next that. And all of that is good, uh, but, but here is our tendency. We always forget uh, that you have to strike out before you hit the ball. That, that the best players in Major League Baseball right now are being paid millions of dollars and they miss seven out of ten times. That you actually are called professional and you are actually considered great, 
by striking out seven out of 10 times, and, and, and some even more than that, that you're considered proficient when you miss a majority of the time. That when we look at champions and we look at people that we admire and we look at people uh, who are scaling and who are leveraging life and doing all of these great exploits and doing all of these great things, uh, yes, yes, they are hitting home runs and yes, their businesses are doing well and yes, their families seem to be amazing and yes, their companies are doing great and yes, they graduated from school and yes, they're the star player. But here's the truth. You don't become a champion without striking out. The truth is, is that if there is no struggle, Frederick Douglass said it, there is no progress. That, that you have to be pulled back in order to be pulled forward, that you have to lose in order to be considered a winner, that, that you have to have failure in order to have the victory, that life is not always about mountaintops. Sometimes you have to go down into the valley of the shadow of death. And I want to speak to you today because you can't think that God is only good when you're hitting grand slams. You can't think that God is only good when you're connecting. You can't, you can't think that God is only good when everything is going the way you planned it. How many of you know that God is good even when things seem to be bad? How many of you know that God is amazing even when you don't like your current set of circumstances? Our God is great, and he is greatly to be praised. You know, as I looked at the baseball and I saw him hitting the ball out, you know, it's easy to judge people when you're sitting on your couch in the living room. If you're a basketball fan, somebody misses a shot and you say, oh my God, what's wrong with you? You missed it. But the truth is, it's easy to judge somebody while you're comfortable. But, but when you go out there and you have to shoot the ball while somebody's trying to block the ball and you're fatigued and you're tired, it's hard to get in the game. It's hard to do it yourself. But I am coming today to preach to about a thousand of you because God showed me something. He's getting ready to use you in an extraordinary way and you're going to have to be in shape and condition for the wiles of the enemy and the fiery darts that are getting ready to be shot at you because you are a champion. Somebody say, I'm a champion. And you know what? The greatest thing about a champion is that we develop in darkness. You know, right now we have digital phones and you take a picture and, and you get it instantaneously. But how many of y'all remember that pictures had to be developed in dark rooms? That, that images had to be developed in dark rooms and they had to be hidden and, and then eventually you would come and see the image. And some of you all are in the dark area of life right now and you're wondering, does God love me and does God care about me? God says, you know what? The reason why I have you in darkness is because I'm developing you. I have you in the darkness because I'm not ready for people to see the image that I'm creating in you. And, and, and I don't want you to go out there too early because here it is, God told me to tell you that sometimes he has to get you ready for what he has ready for you. There is nothing worse than getting something before you're ready to handle it. Any, anybody have any teenagers? You don't give them the car keys when they're seven. You don't even want to give it to them when they're grown, but you do. You, you, don't, you don't give them the access to the house without your permission until they get a certain age. Why? Because you have to be ready. And the God of our salvation knows when we're ready. And sometimes he will allow us to grow up in the background until he's ready for us to be on the foreground. Because when he wants us to be out there, listen to me, don't miss this. God will always make sure that he keeps you isolated in certain seasons of your life. Why? Why? 
Because when you do what he's called you to do, he doesn't want anybody else's fingerprints on his blueprints. He doesn't want anybody to be able to take credit for what he's getting ready to do in your life. So that's why the people you tried to get close to didn't accept you. And that's why the group you tried to get in rejected you. Because God was saying, if you would have gotten in that group, that group would have said they made you. But I allowed you to stay in the place of isolation so that when you became successful, you would get to Victory Church or to your job and say, had it not been for the Lord on my side, I don't know where I would be. Put your hands together and clap and give God praise if I'm talking to you. You know, in the Bible, the word oil is synonymous with anointing. And every once in a while, you must understand that there is a new oil for every opportunity. That you cannot do the same thing in every season like you did last season. And here's the truth. Your enemies won't be the same tomorrow as they were yesterday. Why? Because every level means a new devil. And the bigger your level, the bigger your devil. If you've ever wondered, why are the tax against me so great? It's because greater is he that's in you than he that's in the world. The way to find out how strong you are is not by how many friends you have. The way to find out how strong you are is to look at your enemies. If your enemies are big, that's a reflection of how big they see you. But here's the deal, and here's the God's honest truth. The thing that will help you to do better in life not friends, it's enemies. I know we don't want that because we think, hey, if I got a lot of friends, I can get there. No, it's your enemies that will help you get there. You remember when Jesus was with his friend Judas and Judas betrayed him? And if you remember, Jesus was in the Garden of Gethsemane and he saw Judas coming from a distance. He said to Judas in the distance, you remember the scripture, he says, Hey, whatever you came to do, do it quickly. What did he call Judas, the guy who betrayed him? He called him his enemy. Meanwhile, Peter, who defended Jesus in that same place. You remember he took the knife out, cut the man's ear off. Jesus picks the man's ear up, puts it back on the man. Judas was betraying Jesus. Peter was protecting Jesus. Jesus calls Judas his friend. His enemy calls Peter his friend. I want you to get this revelation, that the guy who was protecting him, the guy who was defending him, Jesus says to him, Satan, get behind me. Now, Judas and Peter are both involved an illicit activity against our Savior. But he calls one of them a friend, and he calls one of them an enemy. Why? Because Jesus was on his way to the cross, and Peter was about to get in the way of that, so Jesus calls him Satan. I'm trying to tell you that your enemies will be more influential and more effective in you reaching your destiny than your friends will ever be. And you must also understand that your enemies believe in you more than your friends do. Because when Jesus was in that tomb on the third day morning, they had two guards outside of the tomb. Let me ask every intelligent person in here a question. Why do you need guards for a man who's dead? You know why they were guarding him? 
is because he told them, if you tear down this temple, in three days, I will build it again. Meanwhile, Peter, none of the disciples showed up at the tomb, and he told them that he was the resurrection and the life. Meanwhile, his friends didn't show up, but his enemies guarded the tomb. Why? Because your enemies believe in you more than your friends do. And I want you to understand that when you look around your life and you find out all of these people who are against you, all it is is proof positive that God has established something in you. And he who has began a good work in you will establish it until the day of Jesus Christ. Do me a favor, look down your row, tell everybody in your section, I've got the victory. I'm going to warn you right now that if your neighbor didn't speak to you, they may not have your back. You may want to switch sections. I want you to look at somebody right in their face, eyeball to eyeball, and say, I've got the victory. And here's what the Bible says. If one can chase a 1,000, two can chase 10,000, you're going to need somebody in your section because the devil's about to send everything at you. But if you connect with the person beside you, you can chase every demonic force out of your influence, out of your section, out of your life, and out of your mind because God's about to do great things in your life. If you believe it, say amen. amen. You know, when David had all of these different battles, I want you to realize something, that none of his enemies were the same. The first thing he ever fought was a bear. Second thing was a lion. Third thing, a giant. After that, he was fighting armies. Now, I know that I wasn't called to be the king of Israel because I would have quit on the first battle. <laughs> I won't be fighting anybody's bear anytime soon. After the bear, it's a lion. After the lion, it's a giant. I would have said, God, I mean, do you have anything my size? <laughs> but God wanted David to know that it was not the size of his enemies that he needed to be concerned with. What he should have been focused on is the size of his God. Did you know that your God is bigger than anything you will ever face? Is there anything too hard for God? The answer to the question is emphatically and consistently always, no, God is always bigger than anything you will ever face. The bear tried to kill David. It didn't work. The lion tried to kill David. It didn't work. The giant tried, but it didn't work. In fact, if you read history, David never lost a battle. Do you know what David's most difficult battle was? It wasn't the lion and the bear. His most difficult battle was the rejection of his father because he had all of these brothers. When it came time for the prophet to anoint the king, the father had all of his sons out there, but he left David in the field. I want you to look at something. Before David was king, there was a man named Saul who was king. And the Bible says that he had the oil poured on him out of a flask. I believe that's 1 Samuel chapter 10. But when we see David anointed, we don't see David anointed out of a flask. The Bible says that David was anointed out of a horn. For when the prophet showed up to the house to pour the oil on David, it came out of a horn. I started to think, isn't it amazing that Saul, who was the king that the people chose, was anointed out of a flask, which is nothing more than a man-made object. 
but the king that God chose. The oil didn't come out of a man-made object. The oil came out of a horn. And a horn is a God-made object coming out of an animal that God made. You will always know who called you by the container which the oil flows from. And I speak to you today that God is about to use an anointing on your life. And the oil will not flow on anybody who's trying to pretend to be you. The oil won't flow on anybody who's trying to take your position. God says you don't have to fight. You don't have to fuss. You don't have to manipulate. I'll stop the oil until it gets over your head. And when the oil gets to your location, it's about to flow. Somebody shout, God, anoint me from the crown of my head to the sole of my feet. God picked you even though other people don't understand it. There are people on your job right now, they don't like you, but God does. There are people in your family members, <laughs> I'm gonna tell you right now, you may have the same last name, but they don't like you. There are people who call themselves your friend, what they are is what I call frenemies. Enemies dressed in friendship clothing. I wish I had somebody in here today because some people understand that if they can't beat you, they might as well join you. But I'm telling you right now, you are the head and not the tail. You are above only and never beneath. You are the lender and not the borrower. I wish I had somebody in victory today. Somebody shout, I can do anything. How do I know I can do all things? Not because of me, but... I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. You're looking at somebody right now that shouldn't be on this stage. Oh, no, I have no business up here. I was born in Gary, Indiana. I didn't even know what Tulsa, Oklahoma was when I was in Gary. My mother worked at Taco Bell. She raised four children. I had never been to Houston, Texas. The first time I'd ever been out of the state I was born in is because basketball took me out. My mother didn't take me out. I was able to go play basketball. I was able to go do different things and scale and, and, and do something with my life. I have no business being up here, so I thought. But what I didn't know is that before I was formed in my mother's womb, God had already called me a prophet to the nations. And you're talking, you're looking at a man who had never been out of his state, who has been to Australia and preached the gospel, who has been to London and preached the gospel, who has been to Ghana and preached the gospel, to different countries in Nigeria and preached the gospel. And I made it to Tulsa, Oklahoma to preach the gospel all the way from where God started me. Why? Because he who has began a good work in you will establish it until the day of Jesus Christ. Can I just tell somebody in here today, it is not how you start, it's how you finish. And don't you give up. Be not weary in well-doing, for you will reap a harvest if you faint not. I need somebody to make the devil nervous and begin to shout over the next 30 seconds. Let the devil know you got the wrong somebody. I'm a king's kid. This is how I fight my battles. You may knock me down, but you won't knock me out. You may discourage me, but you won't depress me. As a matter of fact, I'm telling you right now, some of you all are going to put on the garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness. 
Have you ever been in a situation where the devil almost thought he had you, but you got into the house of the Lord and you heard the music playing and you saw everybody else shouting and you know what? You started to shake it off and you started to feel good and the devil thought he had you, but Jesus reached down and grabbed you and now you are in the house of the Lord saying, you know what? I still got a future. I still got a reason to praise him. I still have a tomorrow with tears coming down my eyes. I am still the Lord's anointed. I am still the Lord's child. I am his daughter. I am his son. One of the ways you have to fight your battles is knowing that you won even if you haven't started. All we do is win. No matter what. <laughs> Some of y'all get it. All we do is win. When we look like we're losing, we're winning. When we feel like we're losing, we're winning. So lift up your heads, O ye gates, and be ye lifted up, ye everlasting door. And the king of glory shall come in. Who is this king of glory? The Lord, strong in battle. I wish I had somebody in this place today. That's why the scripture says you have to be strong in the Lord and in the power of his. It's not how strong you are. It's about him. As a matter of fact, our, our strength comes from being weak. When we are weak, he becomes strong. Did you know that every once in a while, God gives you an opportunity not to tell the truth? Oh, I know I just confused a lot of you right now. You're like, hold on there, Reverend. We don't want you to teach heresy. If I am not telling the truth, then answer this question. If God doesn't want me to always tell the truth about my situations, why would the scripture say, let the weak say I'm strong? Let the poor say I am rich. In other words, he gives us permission to speak the opposite of our circumstances. So even when I feel depressed, somebody say, how are you? I'm blessed and highly favored. When somebody says, how are you doing? You could be doing bad and say, I'm doing great in the Lord. And how about you? What I'm trying to tell you is that death and life is in the power of your tongue. And James says the tongue is like a rudder to a ship and like to sail to a boat. In other words, my life goes in the direction of my tongue. So I just need somebody right now who may be sick to speak the opposite. I'm healed. Maybe you're having a financial difficulty. Somebody shout, I'm a millionaire. You see, you have to speak the opposite of your circumstances because your life goes in the direction of your speech. You have to speak well even when you don't feel well. People call it fake. I call it faith. I speak those things that are not as though they were. I can tell so many of you all read the Bible and hear every time I start a scripture, you just finish it for me. Everybody say, know your enemies. You have to know your enemies. You have to know their strengths. You have to know that people know how to get to you. They know that some of you don't have long attention spans, so they use distractions. They know some of you all have tender hearts, and they know you can't say no, so they distract you while you're working on something that won't benefit your destiny. Some of them know that your children are your weak spot, 
And so the enemy will come after your children. I've been saying this all weekend. How many mothers do I have in here? Shout at me if you're a mother. Guys, you think you're tough? Let me tell you something. The toughest thing on earth is a woman with a child. You cannot, and you should not, it would not be wise to mess with a woman with a child. You know, there's an example of a woman who picked a car off of her child and couldn't even carry the groceries in the house without asking the husband to do it. Do you know that when a woman comes after, you know, you carry this child for nine months, and you have to remind them when they get older what they did to your body. You carry this child for nine months. Some of the children are stubborn. They won't come for 15 hours. 67, who said that? Lord, I pray a special anointing on this woman right now in the name of Jesus. She labored with the child for 67 hours and didn't ask you to take it back. Lord, we give you glory. Do I hear 68, 69, 68, 70, 70, 71, 72, 73? Anybody got more than 68 hours? How many do you have? 72? Lord, give her a double dose of anointing. Isn't that three days? See, this is why men couldn't have children. Let me tell you right now. After the first hour of labor, the child in here, I said, Lord, it was your will you didn't want it to be. Story's over. But the enemy knows exactly how to get you. He knows that you like security, so he'll get you in the area of money. He's wise as a serpent. He knows exactly how to distract you. I guarantee you, the person next to you doesn't have the same distraction that you have. But they have one. They don't have the same issue that you have. But they have one. They're not fighting the same battle that you're fighting. But they got a battle. Why? Because the enemy knows, here it is, point number one, the best way to get you to lose the battle is to have you consistently fighting unassigned battles. You don't have to show up to every fight you're invited to. You cannot be everything to everybody. How many of you struggle with saying no? Because you say, I just got a good heart. I want to I help everybody. But how can you help me if you can't help you? What good are you going to be to the world outside of you? if the world inside of you is falling apart. You know, Pastor Paul called me yesterday. He's away with the children. And I told him, I said, Pastor Paul, don't come to church. Stay away. Because let me tell you one thing I know about those of us who go to church. Some will be mad because he's not at church being away with his children. But if he lost his family, everybody would be. So sometimes you have to know which battle to fight. Sometimes you have to know where to be. And for anybody who would wish that somebody would look to the side and be more concerned about their profession than they are their children, is somebody whose priorities are in the wrong place anyway. Amen, church. That, that, that I think it's brilliant to have a, a, a church night at home. 
Because I grew up in church, well, we were in church for Sunday school, and then we were in church after church. Then we had to go to church in between church, and then we had to go to church after church. And we were still out of our minds. The answer isn't more church, it's more God. The answer isn't just to praise him on Sunday. The answer is to bless the Lord at all times and let his praise continuously be in our mouth. Somebody say, fighting unassigned battles. You have to reserve your strength for the battles that are for you. Don't try to be anybody else. And don't water yourself down because people can't handle you at 100 proof. Be yourself. Be yourself. Be what he called you to be. God cannot bless who you pretend to be. He can only bless who he created you to be. Somebody say, I'm going to be myself. And if, you, if they don't like it, too bad. Find another group. But you have to be you. You have to be you. God can't bless who you pretend to be. David was a worshiper. He didn't pretend not to be. In one case, he danced so much that his clothes came off. I don't recommend it. <laughs> I don't recommend we do that in this dispensation. But in David's time, that's what he did. David was rejected by his father. I used to think that it was a bad thing until I looked at it differently, that perhaps God's rejection of David was actually God's protection of David. Because had he not been rejected, he would have been chosen too soon. If he had not been rejected, he probably would have been hurt too soon. He would have been exposed to problems too soon. So God had him rejected so that when God actually needed him, he didn't have to take a leave of absence from something he was already involved in. He had no obligations. So when God called him, the only thing he had to say was yes. Sometimes God makes you have nine no's to get you to the one yes that will change your life. I have a business partner or a consultant, I should say, that I had in my life for some time. And he told, I asked him one day, I said, how are you successful? He said, because I love no. And I didn't get it. But he said that he knows the ratio of his life is that he has to get nine no's for every one yes. So whenever you tell him no, he doesn't get discouraged. He hurries up and gets to the next person so he can get another no. He actually has become addicted to no's because he knows after the ninth no, here comes a one. And that one yes is going to change everything. Some of y'all in this room right now, you're like, oh, my God, I must be close to a miracle because I've been told no 19 times this week. <laughs> but I'm telling you right now that as those no's are piling up, you're going to cash those chips in for a yes. And when that yes comes, Oh, my God, when that one yes comes, it's going to be a yes so big, and it's going to make you forget about all of the no's that you've ever experienced. And here is a revelation that God told me to tell you. He says that I'm getting ready to bless you so much that the worst days of your future are going to be better than the best days of your past. 
Oh, you better hear what I just said. That you're getting ready to walk into a season that the worst day you can think of will be better than the worst day you had in your yesterday. That you're getting ready to walk into a season where nothing concerns you because you're going to live by faith, you're going to walk by faith, and you're not going to do it by sight. Because if you do it by sight, you'll get discouraged. But you have to walk by faith. Everybody say, walk by faith, not by sight. What if I told you, what if I told you that in this room today, room full of champions. I bet you would probably disagree because you would look at how many things you've lost. But in order to be a champion, you have to risk loss. That you have to have the faith that even if I don't come out of this the way I predicted, I'm going to come out of it the way God said I would. Can you imagine David looking at this guy who's four to five feet taller than him? I don't know about you, but I probably would have negotiated my way out of the deal. I would have said, you know, I thought I wanted to fight you, but after reconsidering the set of circumstances, it probably would not be apropos that you and I get into a physical altercation. So, if it's, if it's all the same to you, it is to me, why don't we just let bygones be bygones? You go your way, I'll go my way, and we'll let the Lord handle this in the morning. <laughs> David said, the bigger they are, the harder they fall. David said, you had the nerve to step out here and step to me? Well, I'm about to show you what happens when you step to a man of God. I'm going to show you what happens when you look at somebody who has faith and no fear and tell you what happens to them. And the Bible lets us know that he took the rag and he took the rock. How many stones did David have? He had five, but how many did it take to win? One. Do you know you've overpacked for your next job? You brought everything you could. You brought your attitude. You brought your comeback statement. You brought everything you could. God says all you need is one rock. It's gonna, that's all it's going to take. It's going to take one rock. And he hit him in the one area that he was exposed. But you got to understand what was happening because he almost got tricked because David was out there exposed. Goliath made him an offer. He said, How, uh, let, let's make this even. I got a sword. Let me give you a sword. I've got a helmet. You take a helmet. I've got sheaves. You take sheaves. I've got a shield. You take a shield. Let's make it even. David understood that he could not fight in another man's armor. The importance of knowing that you can win with what God gave you. That you don't need what somebody else has, what somebody else has to win. Somebody might be able to sing. You don't need a voice, but you know how to pray. Somebody else might know how to pray, and you may not be a prayer warrior, but you got the patience of Job. I'm telling you that if you use the rock that God put in your bag, you can knock your giant out. You don't need my stone. You don't need her stone. All you have to use is the stone that God gave you, and your giant will fall if you use what God gave you. Somebody say, use what God gave you. You know, there are a lot of, lot of temptations when the battle doesn't yield itself, 
How many of you know? Then we'll get greedy. Here's another one. We'll get lazy. Anybody sometimes victimized by the sloth spirit that, that if it doesn't yield when you want it to yield, you'll just, you just say, you know what? I give up. No, the steps of a good man are ordered by the Lord. You just got to pick one up and put it in front of the other. And you got to push toward the mark for the prize of the upward call. And when it gets hard, pick it up and put it down. And when it gets difficult, I don't care if you have to drag yourself to the finish line. You better not quit. Somebody shout, I'm not a quitter. You better not give up. If you're in school right now, I don't care if you are fatigued. You better finish what you started, and he who has began it will establish it. You've got to do it. This is how you're going to win. Your children are depending on you. The next generation is waiting on you. You have no idea how many eyes are on you because you are admired in places and ways you don't understand. And if you quit, you're sending a signal out to those who admire you that you can get your way by quitting. But I am speaking to your life. Life today and I want to infuse your spirit with some sort of vernacular that you will begin to speak to yourself that God is my redeemer God is my father I belong to God and God is not a failure and since I'm created in his image I cannot fail why because God finishes everything he starts and so should Can I bring Job into the conversation? We're done. Job lost everything that he had. Job's children were killed in a storm. Job's wife told him to curse God and die. Job's friends, they turned their back on him. All of the cattle that Job had, annihilated. But if you keep reading, Job says, though you slay me, yet will I trust in you. And it is not many chapters later that we look up and Job has double the amount of cattle, double the amount of friends, double the amount of children. Because he's telling us, just because you're experiencing loss doesn't mean you're losing. God will cut off the vine to promote the growth. You thought it was a cut. It was pruning. The seed, it has two perspectives. The seed could either say, I'm buried or I'm planted. Which will you decide? Is the glass half empty or is it half full? Are you going through or are you going through? Are you depressed or are you getting stronger under the pressure? Are you alone? 
or are you being rewarded with a long time? It's up to you. Can I tell you, my dream was to play basketball. It's all I ever wanted to do with my life. You know, my life was kind of odd. I was in college, and I was preaching since I was 14 years old. The Lord called me to preach at 14. I preached my first sermon 27 years ago last Sunday. Been pastoring since I was 21 years old. Got a Division I basketball scholarship to Indiana Purdue University, and something came over me. I gathered five people together in college and started a church, and it grew to 600 while I was a junior in college. So I would go preach at 9 o'clock in the morning and have to leave the church and go to basketball practice. And sometimes my coach would have to allow me to come late or leave early because sometimes church would get good. It would last a little longer, so I'd come in the basketball practice late. And it was messing up the camaraderie with the other team members, so my coach came to me one day and said, you're the captain of this team, but you keep showing up to practice late, and the guys are complaining. He said, you're going to have to make a decision. You're either going to have to play basketball or you're going to have to do this preaching thing. Well, I told you my mom worked at Taco Bell. You remember that, making $6 an hour. So here was my response to him. I said, Coach, are you telling me that I either have to play basketball or do this work for the Lord? He said, unfortunately, that's what I'm telling you. I said, well, coach, I was baptized when I was six. I was called to preach when I was 14. I've been saved most of my life. This is a very easy decision. I'm going to play basketball and make a whole lot of money, and then I'm going to come back and preach after I'm done. It's God's honest truth. I gave him all kind of reasons, too. I said, you, you all probably won't remember this, but there used to be a guy named Reggie White that used to play for the Green Bay Packers. He was a preacher. You remember him? Oh, oh or, or maybe you know this guy. It was a preacher named Al Green. He was a singer. Wrote a song called Love and Happiness. You remember the Admiral David Robinson? Licensed minister. I gave him all of the examples that I could for somebody who chose a career in sports over ministry. That was at 4 o'clock in the afternoon. By 8 o'clock that evening, I was on a stretcher because I tore every ligament in my left knee. You see, my name is not Al Green. My name is not Reggie White. My name is not David Robinson. My name is Keon Henderson. And the battle he had for me was different than the battle he had for them. And when I try to do it my way, God says, okay. My knee snapped and went backwards the same way it goes forwards. 
And at that moment, I knew that when God wants you to do something, he will do whatever is necessary to get you on track for what he has for your life. Some of the injuries that you have gone through in life were course corrections. God was just subtly nudging you to get back on track. If you're in this place today and you will admit that you know what God wants you to do, but it doesn't always line up with what you want to do, and you want to have the faith to say, you know what, God? I want to be where you want me to be. I want to do what you want me to do. I want to go where you want me to go. I want you to meet me at this altar. I believe in the power of prayer. The Bible says that my house will be called of all nations, not the house of worship, not the house of missions, but my house shall be called of all nations, the house of prayer. Standing to your feet all over this room, if you're here and you want me to pray over your confessions and that when you speak, dead things will live, I want you to meet me at this altar because I'm going to pray for you today. We don't have to switch this weapon out because prayer always works. I believe that God is about to cause a shift in your life. And he's going to do it today. No, there are a lot of words that we can speak. We can speak bitter words. We can speak angry words. But there's only one word that works, and it is the word of God. You remember when Jesus was in the garden of Gethsemane? The Bible says that sweat and blood began to come from his head. But you know what he did while he was there? He prayed to his father. Because prayer works even when you're bleeding. Prayer works when you're starving. Prayer works when you're confused. Prayer works when you're complacent. Prayer works even if you're not eloquent of speech. You know, when Peter was drowning, he didn't say, Abraham and Isaac and Jacob's father, the God of the, of the, the heavens and the earth, the God who super He just said, Lord, save me. God loves you so much that he doesn't need an essay to perform for you. He says, if you draw nigh unto me, I'll draw nigh unto you. Can I tell you, God doesn't care if you have a million dollars in the bank or if you have no money in your pocket. God doesn't care if you have an Ivy League education, a master's degree, a GED, or no degree at all. God doesn't care if you're a CEO or if you work on a farm. He doesn't care if you're from New York or from some town that you can't even pronounce. The earth is the Lord's, the fullness thereof, and they that dwell therein. You know why I love this church? Because it looks like heaven. There are black men and white men, Latino women and, and Asian men, and we're all in this place realizing that while the world is fighting each other, the only thing that matters is the kingdom of God. that we don't all have to believe the same thing.
except for when it comes to Jesus, that we must confess with our mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in our heart that God has raised his son from the dead. And if you do that, the Bible says, thou shalt be saved. So while the people in the world are worried about the interest rate, I don't have to worry about the interest rate because in my father's house there are many mansions. And if it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you that if you come with me there where I am, there ye may be. Also, lift your hands in this place. Just open up your mouth right now and begin to say sweet things to him. Come on and speak to him. Just another few seconds. Just another few seconds. Thanks to the Holy One. Give thanks to the Holy One. Give thanks because He's given Jesus Christ, His Son, give thanks with a grateful heart. Give thanks to the Holy One. Give thanks because He's given Jesus Christ, His Son, and now let the weak say, I am strong. Let the poor say, I am rich because of what Lord has done. Can we say that one more time? Somebody sing it. And now, and now, let the weak, I am strong. I am For us, give, give thanks. Now I want to pray, but I hear another song in my spirit. Bless the Lord, oh my soul, oh my soul. Worship his holy name. Sing like never before, oh my soul, worship. Sing it one more time. Bless the Lord. Bless the Lord, oh my soul, oh my soul, worship. Come on, let's sing it together, Victory Church. 
One more time. Let's sing it like we really mean it. This is our last time. Come on. Everybody lift your voice, even in the balcony. Bless the Lord. Oh, oh, oh. oh yeah. give him praise in this place today come on come on victory come on if you got the victory come on and give him glory from the rising of the sun to the going down of the same he's worthy to be praised God in the name of Jesus let there be no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus for we've never seen the righteous forsaken, nor your seed begging for bread. Thank you, God, that down here on earth, we can just mimic what's going on in heaven. And right here from Victory Church, we can give you all glory, honor, and praise. Not because life is perfect, but because you are flawless and you are perfect in all your ways. And that you are no respecter of person. That you will lift up our countenance and bless our faces. That you would make the crooked ways straight and the low places high. God, if we get too high, bring us down. If we get too low, pick us up. Speak to our heart, Holy Spirit. Give us the message that will bring new life. Give us the power to speak futuristically and not in bondage. Bless this city, oh God. Bless the works of our hands. Allow us to get home and find everything in order. Oh God, bless our children and our children's children and a thousand generations. We come to you because only you can do it. In Jesus' name we pray. If you got any ounce of God in you, I want you to shout in this place today. Come on, victory. Come on. Come on. Come on. Come on. Come on. Let's give him glory. Let's give him praise. Hallelujah. 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 One more time. Bless the Lord. Come on, let's all sing it. We're getting ready to go. Bless the Lord.
this place. How many of you feel Jesus in your heart? One last time, make hell nervous and scream. I want you to resist the temptation to be depressed. I want you to resist the temptation to quit. I want you to resist the temptation to feel insecurity and rejected. And be bold in the Lord and in the power of his might. And know that God created you just the way you are. And he doesn't make any mistakes. So if they don't like you, it's because they don't like quality. I'll say it to this side of the room. If they don't like you, they must have a problem with quality. Because God doesn't make any junk. God is a redeemer. Victor, I love you. I'll see you next time. God bless you.